The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Equitably Empowering Our Upper GI Cancer Patients Using Plain Language Tools to Improve Outcomes with Immunotherapeutic Regimens Through Informed Shared Decision-Making. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash EGP 860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Hello and welcome to Equitably Empowering Our Upper GI Cancer Patients. My name is Dr. Yelena Janjigan. I'm a medical oncologist and chief of GI Oncologist Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And I've really focused my research and academic career on improving outcomes for patients with stomach cancer. It's a real pleasure today to be able to share a program with you where we'll be discussing how we can utilize in our practice plain language summaries and these tools that are developed to effectively promote patient engagement in the decision-making and to make shared decisions when selecting immune checkpoint blockade in first-line and beyond therapies for gastric cancer to improve outcomes. Before we move on, please download our practice aid resource that features the plain language tool I will be describing throughout this program, and you can follow along and participate in this activity. It's a great interactive tool that you can use to help engage your patients in these clinical decisions. And let's begin. The goals for today is to learn about practice-changing evidence for integrating immunotherapy approaches into treatment plans for patients with upper GI cancers. How do we enhance your understanding of the benefit of engaging patients in informed shared decision-making when choosing treatment options and improve your skills to utilize available tools, including plain language summaries, when making informed shared decisions about immune-oncology strategies as part of team-based equitable management approach. We'll start with a brief tour of our practice changing immuno-oncology advances, and the tours include mostly patients with upper GI cancers, which is where the, all the development has been in this field. By way of background, what we understand from these large data sets, such as Flatiron and other health data sets, is that gastric cancer remains relatively understudied and underserved treatment area. Over the past seven years, so before the advent of Checkmate 649 and some of the immunotherapy trials, what we find is that most patients are seeing their physicians, but up to 25% of patients did not receive any first-line treatment. And we need to understand what are the factors that drive this? Is it patient preference? Is it functional status? Or is it clinician decision? And we want to improve the shared decision-making at least from historic data sets, the outcomes for this disease are quite poor. And the five-year survival of patients with distant metastatic disease is approximately 5%, which is really subpar. So how do we get first-line therapy to more patients? How do we get more patients biomarker tested? And how we get more patients on subsequent therapies is really what the importance of the shared decision-making tools are. To make you familiar with practice-changing advances, immunotherapy has really transformed the way we think about this disease, particularly in adenocarcinoma. There's been several gaps in first-line setting where beyond HER2, we have not had any validated biomarkers. And previous first-line studies, over a decade of negative studies, one after the other, explored other targeted agents with no successes. And the median overall survival for this disease historically has been less than a year. And so recently, we've had three transformative randomized clinical trials that demonstrated that anti-PD-1-based therapies, either nivolumab or pembrolizumab, in combination with chemotherapy, 
can demonstrate superior overall survival in all comer populations, but also in biomarker selected population, particularly for MSI high or PDL1 positive tumors. These randomized phase three trials typically compare a combination of chemotherapy with anti PD1 based therapy compared to chemotherapy alone. And the first positive study was Checkmate 649, which led to the FDA approval of nivolumab plus chemotherapy in the United States and also more than 50 regions worldwide for first line treatment. And what's interesting is that the approval was irrespective of PDL1 status. Recently, we had a readout of other study, Keynote 811, that showed that combination of pembrolizumab and trastuzumab in chemotherapy, and this treatment is approved now in the United States and Europe for HER2-positive disease. What we know about this disease is that in later lines of therapy, if you don't use immunotherapy in first line in the United States for microsatellite-stable tumors, we do not have access to immunotherapy in later lines. And pembrolizumab approval in third line and beyond was withdrawn in the United States. This was announced in July of 2021. And although in Asia, countries such as Japan and Korea, there is availability for nivolumab in later lines, in the United States, we don't have that access for a majority of our patients. For MSI tumors and TMB high tumors, we can use pembrolizumab in later lines. But for most of our patients, if we don't use immunotherapy in first line, they don't have access to it in later lines. So that's why I think using these shared decision tools and understanding the data and understanding how to communicate that data to the patients will be important. To focus our discussion today, I wanted to share a case. This is a very typical case of a patient we see in the clinic. We can talk a little bit about how we approach these patients in our clinic at Memorial Storm Kettering. This is a patient with metastatic gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma. He presented with mild dysphagia and over five months lost approximately five kilograms. It's a very typical presentation for this patient. He presented to his primary doctor who ordered an endoscopy and unfortunately showed a friable gastroesophageal junction mass. Biopsy showed poorly differentiated adenocarcinoma and there were some signet ring cell features, which we know are associated with poor outcome. Unfortunately, on cross-sectional imaging, so that's the typical staging, we get a CAT scan and showed two liver lesions and large mass with thickening of the G-junction and gastrohepatic lymph nodes. The standard biomarkers in this case, and that's very important to do as a first step to educate your patients to get these biomarkers done and provide unstained slides or if needed, get additional biopsies. We routinely test for it. MSI, microsatellite instability by immunohistochemistry, that's four IHC tests for mismatch repair proteins. We get immunohistochemistry for HER2, and we get PDL1 combined positivity score, which is what we use in this disease. And then subsequently, typically, at least now widely available, we also order sequencing of the tumor to assess for tumor mutational burden and other driver alterations such as KRAS. But that test usually comes back later on. So as you can see, this patient was PDL1 positive, CPS7, which is considered high, microsatellite stable, HER2 negative, and subsequently the tumor showed a very typical profile for gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma, which is TP53 mutation and a KRAS amplification. So the chromosomal instability is a very common problem in our disease, which makes it more a treatment refractory in general. So the patient is otherwise functional. There's no contraindication to combined chemotherapy. And there's certainly no contraindications to immunotherapy. So there's no history of rheumatoid arthritis or other issues such as rheumatologic diseases and so forth. So how would you think about this patient? Certainly tumor is HER2 negative, so there's no opportunity to target that. But in this patient with good functional status, who's 
fit for combination therapies. And we made it easy. The tumor is CPS7 or greater, so greater than CPS5. So absolutely, combination of chemotherapy plus immunotherapy would be helpful in these patients. We've presented long-term follow-up on these trials, and clearly the curves from Checkmate 649 separate early, and there's sustained separation in favor of both survival, progression-free survival, but most importantly in these patients also early on response rate. If the tumor shrinks faster, there's better quality of life and he's able to eat and not become symptomatic. What other factors that come into play certainly is pdl one status and availability of other biomarkers. So often when I go to present these data elsewhere, the question is, what if the tumor was pdl one negative, completely CPS zero? Or what if the CPS score was four? And the answer is, so less than five, meaning then from Checkmate 649, the benefit would be less. And the answer is it's always a balance of risks and benefits and how reliable do we think the pdl one testing is. The truth is the combined positivity score is a relatively unreliable biomarker. And because in Checkmate 649, the response rate and overall benefit was seen in intent to treat population, although I agree that degree of benefit is the highest for pdl one five or greater tumors, in my practice, at this time, I tend to offer it based on the FDA approval, irrespective of pdl one For this patient in particular, unless he was eligible for a clinical trial, and ideally the answer is always put the patient on trial, even if pdl one was one or less than five, I would still offer them combination of chemotherapy plus immunotherapy. So let's review the data for it. And how do we prioritize with the patient how do we translate these complex scientific evidence and decisions to help them understand so you're making this decision together? The shared decision-making tool is really to help facilitate patient education, to give them a voice and participation in the care choices. How do we engage our patients, make them feel like they understand the data, help them understand the data so then they can have a voice? And these resources to facilitate engagement include plain language summary publications, certainly patient-level treatment guidelines, tools provided by patient advocacy organizations such as EC Aware, Debbie's Dream Foundation, Stomach Cancer Awareness Network, and No Stomach for Cancer, and I can't keep going, but there's a lot of these advocacy organizations available. The guidance from the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, or AHRQ, on shared decision-making. The mission of this organization is to really provide individuals with healthcare information that people can easily understand. We want to recommend clinicians clearly to explain all treatment options and the risks and the benefits and include every level of healthcare providers such as nurse practitioners, PAs, pharmacists, and so forth. And there's these great tools online for healthcare providers. These links are on the downloadable practice aid for this program through peerreview.com. So what are the plain language summaries? They're effective scientific communication. And every time we publish a practice-changing study, like recently with Checkmate 649 or Keynote 11 or other studies, these big publications at Lancet and so on are always associated with plain language summaries. It's an important tool that Often the primary investigator for the clinical trial helps put together. So there is strong scientific rationale and their science communication is clear to help disseminate research evidence to a wide audience. We utilize a clear jargon-free language to enable audience to translate complex science into practical knowledge and allow for enhanced shared decision-making between providers and patients and certainly caregivers as well to understand these complicated new treatment options because the field of gastric cancer research has evolved immensely. And really the goal is to allow any patient with different education, different 
perhaps primary languages, to have access to the same state-of-the-art care. And that's critical because what we find is that we work so hard to make research advances, but these research advances have less impact unless their general and diverse patient population has access to them. So equity, inclusion, and accessibility is really the goal of these tools and really has been shown in subsequent research to help access and translate this cutting-edge research to general public. So it's very important. Let's go back to our patient, and I'll help illustrate how I would use these tools for our patients. So treatment recommendation for this patient with newly diagnosed gastroesophageal cancer based on patient fitness, HER2 status, is combination therapy, most likely 5-FU oxaliplatin-based combination with combination nivolumab based on Checkmate 649. And this data is supported by Checkmate 649 approval in advanced metastatic gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma, irrespective of pdl one status. So this tool is perfect for us because it allows the patient to understand what you're telling them in plain language. How would you approach counseling this patient if they had questions about survival benefit? What does that mean that there's a survival benefit? What is anti-PD-1 therapy? What is immunotherapy? What are the immune toxicities? And what are the pertinent educational topics so the patient knows how to report immune-related adverse events and feels comfortable with this communication and decision strategies? So how do we walk our patient, this general woman who comes in, who has barely any understanding what gastroesophageal cancer is, and now you're giving them all this information about chemotherapy, metaphoric, the immunotherapy. How do you at least help them understand what a trial data shows and explain results of Checkmate 649? These plain language summaries are published for that purpose. So the typical outline of it is shown here. You have a brief outline of the summary it shows where the trial was published. It showed how secondary publications work. Cancer patients are becoming very sophisticated, and often I have patients come in who've read some of these studies. These scientific reports are meant for scientists, so patients are often very confused. So to have these plain language summaries outlining and spelling out even what nivolumab is, what is adenocarcinoma, is very helpful. Then the results show you how many patients were treated in the study. It's really helpful for these patients to understand the process of the results and that these were 1,500 patients treated with these agents. So it helps them understand the safety and that a lot of work and thought and planning went into these studies. So there's a lot of safety and efficacy data that goes along with it and highlights in big picture the significance of the results. So this was the first study and after a long time that showed a possible hope for these patients to actually live beyond a year, beyond two years, beyond three years with this disease. Visual tools are critical because often patients ask you, where exactly is my tumor? What does that mean? What does it mean to have stage four disease? So these tools often have visual aids that show you that the patients that went on the study have stomach and gastroesophageal cancer, that we think about this disease similarly. In addition, we have esophagus cancer patients for the first time that went on the study. So be able to depict how the trial data will apply to their individual cancer makes them feel empowered and really embodies what we think about personalized medicine. Checkmate 649 was the first study to really focus on adenocarcinoma patients, which is the most common subset of this disease in our clinic. And participants had tumors that were non-surgical tumors that were all metastatic. Once again, just help the patients understand the biology of their cancer better. Speaking of biology, presenting mechanism and rationale behind immune checkpoint blockade can be very helpful to show the patients 
visually what PD-1 therapy targets, which is a receptor, and I call it sometimes a zip code on the immune cells and the cancer cell and how these cells interact, how cancers used to be a healthy cell that went awry and became cancer cell because it's no longer controlled by the body and the immune system let it go on uncontrolled because thinking that it was a normal cell and how subsequently triggering the immune system to attack the cancer cell using immune checkpoint blockade, taking the brakes off the immune system. All of these tools visually explain this to the patient and that immune checkpoint blockade drugs such as nivolumab really blocks that checkpoint of inhibition and allows the cancer cell to be attacked by the immune system. The trial basics is often difficult for the patients to understand because there's a lot of granularity. Patients can be enrolled irrespective of PD-1 status, but there's a spectrum of activity depending on the biomarker. I think it really is important to bring biomarker testing and empower patients to insist on getting biomarker tested so they understand what's the likelihood of their disease of responding and shrinking with treatment and what are the risk-benefit ratios for getting immunotherapy versus not. And so the breakdown of the plain language summary based on pdl one CPS score is really helpful. And understanding the concepts of our efficacy endpoint, right? The questions are, did the participant's tumor shrink in size or disappear, which was our response endpoint? How did the participant's tumor shrink for how long? And did the tumor disappear? So progression-free survival, disease control rate, all of those endpoints are important. Adverse events, right? What were the side effects of the treatment? And how did the participants feel? What were their quality of life measures? What were the quality of life assessments? And again, the big overarching goal, did the patients live longer? How likely were they to die of their disease, depending on all of these questions and the biomarkers that were tested? The randomization is one of the topics that often patients have a hard time with. And for me to explain it to them that patients, the reason why they're able to get immunotherapy now in 2023 is because patients like them in 2016 went on a clinical trial and agreed to be randomized. Americans have a really hard time understanding that a computer will assign them randomly to receive either experimental therapy or standard of care. So to show it visually to show that close to 800 patients were randomized in each arm to answer this question and how this is assigned by a computer and patients received either standard of care or standard of care plus immunotherapy really helps visually to see these tools in the clinic. And also the concept of survival and likelihood of survival is not an easy one to wrap your mind around. But again, to show these ratios of the likelihood of not only the median overall survival, with the benchmark of being alive at one year or two years and so forth, these tools help you explain it. I find this a little bit stressful for the patient. And I think the way that I explain it to them is that there are these benchmarks, but how you will do and whether or not you will benefit from this therapy, it's on a normal distribution. So we really won't know what side of the curve you belong on. And there's a subset of patients who are potentially cured and have long-term disease control and complete response. And then subset that don't respond as well. And we won't know what side of the curve you belong on until we start therapy. So that's usually helpful to the patient to understand that looking at other biomarker results and other benchmarks of efficacy, not just overall survival, 
but progression-free survival can be useful for the patient. The concept of this being a marathon, not a sprint, that you will need to have first line and then subsequent therapies, and we will continue both standard and experimental options for you, is a very powerful concept for the patient, especially if they're part of the decision-making. And of course, the biggest factor into this is discussing adverse events so that patients are empowered to report adverse events so you can mitigate them and act early and help them stay on treatment for as long as possible. So because side effects from this regimen, from combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy is mostly from chemotherapy, and there's certainly overlapping side effects between chemotherapy and immunotherapy. So the diarrhea and some of the and liver function side effects can be overlapping. And so that's what we see. So that, for example, most of the nausea is related to chemotherapy. But some of the diarrhea is mostly related to chemotherapy, as you can see here, because it was 27% on the standard of care arm and 32% on the combination of chemotherapy plus nivolumab. Neuropathy is mostly chemotherapy-related. Neutropenia is mostly chemotherapy-related. But it's important to explain these to the patient so that they can report and you can intervene on things like nausea and vomiting and diarrhea because then the tolerance of chemotherapy overall and the amount of treatment you can deliver is more favorable. So tying it all together for the patient will take some time. It's not just one visit and you can revisit these tools repeatedly. What do these results and the study mean? I always tell the patient, if you remember 10% of anything I said to you, you're ahead of the game and we'll continue to learn and review this together so that you can provide these tools and you can study them at home. But overall, it gives patients hope that there's new treatments, immunotherapy, and results of the Checkmate 649 study in particular has really given a lot of patients hope for a better future for this disease, metastatic gastric cancer. How do you access PLS and other shared decision-making tools? You can go on HRQ Guide and Resource Hub on patient education for the care team. These tools provide us aids and are provided by patient advocacy organizations such as AC Aware, Debbie's Dream, Stomach Cancer Awareness Network. And once again, if you haven't done already, please download the PLS Practice Aid tool that I described during this program to use as a resource when counseling your patients. Summary and take-home messages for this is really to help us address practice gaps and unmet needs for first-line therapy and immunotherapy for gastric cancer and gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma cancer, to continue to perform biomarker testing for all of our patients, because that's the only way that we can advance this disease and improve outcomes for our patients. There's more practice-changing therapies that are coming for our patients, so if you're keeping your patients fit, they can get more first, second, and third line therapies. And you do that by closely monitoring them, good nursing support, management of dehydration and nutritional issues, management of toxicity. To promote informed shared decision-making for our patients is critical. We need to educate them on all treatment options to seek specialized care and to describe the results to them in plain language before making major decisions. To utilize these digestible, easy-to-access resources online will help our patients feel empowered and to feel less anxious. And this concludes our exploration of PLS tools and the management of upper GI cancers. I hope you found this activity useful. Feel free to reach out to us, and thank you for your attention. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash EGP 860. This activity is supported through an educational grant 
from Bristol-Myers Squibb.